This is The People's Show with Bik Nizar and Randy Janda. Welcome back to The People's Show. This hour of the show is brought to you by Douglas Lake Equipment. Get the quality turf, construction, and ag equipment you need while staying under your salary cap at the closest Kubota dealer to the Lower Mainland. DouglasLakeEquipment.com Got some texts in, got some right answers. A lot of wrong answers on today's question. It's a tough question. Turf trivia. The reigning champ, Surrey, a.k.a. Fraser Heights. Congrats to Ubercool Rick who won yesterday. He was in the first iteration of the Fantasy League. Back then, it was the Reach Deep Fantasy Football League. He was not good. Neither was I. I'll be honest. <laughs> but he's back, a couple years removed. What was today's question, answer, and who is today's winner? Okay, so the question was, when was the last time the BC Lions started a season with a record of 7-1, and one, which is what they have right now, or better through their first eight games? The answer, 2005. The year Josh was born. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, they started 8-0. They got to 11-0. And then they finished the season 12-6. So kind of bad second half of the year there. But they lost in the West Final. The winner of a spot in the People Show Fantasy Football League, Marcus and Gibsons. Congratulations, Marcus and Gibsons. And Marcus was not in the first iteration. Wasn't last year's, came in second. Oh. So we got a couple of people from yesteryear. We got some new entrants as well. But there you go. Last year's runner-up is back in the mix. If you want to be part of the Reach, or I was going to say the Reach Deep, the People Show Fantasy Football League. Someone can make a Reach Deep Fantasy Football League. No, no, come on. It's trademark. (laughs) Oh, No, it's not. Um, If you want to join, you're going to have a few more chances this week via Turf Trivia. Gibsons is the Turf Trivia champion. Heading into tomorrow, we'll see who wins tomorrow. We'll see who gains entry tomorrow. In the last hour, if you missed it, download the podcast, have a listen. We were talking about breakout and regression candidates. And one of the names on your list, Spencer Martin. And I think we can all agree that when you have a 950 save percentage, yeah, unless you're the second coming of Dominic Hasek, not I mean, even, that, even better than that, actually. If he doesn't regress from that, Demko will be the backup. Exactly. So Demko would be the regression candidate. Yes. In that case. All right. But Martin, we expect him, the numbers wise, yeah, all that. He's going to, he's going to take a hit when it comes to save percentage. That's, that's not rocket science. No. But what is a successful season for Spencer Martin? Because we've seen this team have Yaro Halak. It was not good last year. There's the drama off the ice. Is he going to get moved? Are the teams interested? Would he okay move? All of that. That's done. They have a new, younger backup. What's the measure of success for Martin in that spot? So for me, I don't know if I really want to quantify it number-wise, but I would say if he can take the necessary amount of starts away from Thatcher Demko, like ideally you probably want Demko around, what let's say like 55-ish games probably to keep him rested enough if you're going to make the playoffs. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. In that range, essentially. If Spencer Martin can play those games, and look, every goalie's going to have an off night, but for the most part, be not the reason... You don't have to be the reason the team wins, but don't be the reason the team loses. If he can do that, that's a successful year for Spencer Martin. And I would say, so let's say he 
takes 25 starts around there. 25 starts. If he can win 14, 15 of those, that's a, that's a successful year for me. Yeah, I think a lot of that was in, you know, let's go back in time a little bit. Last year, Thatcher Demko played in 64 games. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of hockey. And even having, you know, Ian Clark on the show about a month after the season, a couple of weeks after the season, we asked him about that sweet spot. I believe, if I remember correctly, he was saying around 60 to 62. So, you know, still a lot of games. Yeah. But you're generally looking in that range of probably close to what you're talking about. Spencer Martin getting around. 20-ish. 20-ish. 22 games, maybe thereabouts. What really hurt, I think, Thatcher Demko was, and the Canucks for that matter, was those nights where Yaroslav Halak, even if you get six put past you, it's a balanced game. You don't have to pull the goalie. Like, people understand when the backup loses, but if it's 3 nothing in the opening minutes, that that's bad because you can't put, you can't leave that guy in there. The team's not playing in front of him or he doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to put Demko in. Exactly. So that day off turns into a, oh, he still played 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. That hurt him last year. This year, and it's a big question for Spencer Martin because he has not played at this level consistently. This is a new spot for him. And he did get that tutelage from Curtis Sanford, who's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now he's going to have a chance to work with Ian Clark consistently. We've seen him make progress last year and really turn into himself into a backup goalie in the NHL. Can he do that consistently? How much better does he get? It's a big moment for this guy. It's definitely more time with Ian Clark isn't going to hurt. That's for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's he just needs to show. And, and the reason I put him in the regression potential category isn't just because I think he's he's obviously not going to get to 950 of course uh but I do wonder if last year last year he had a lot to prove and this year he does to an extent as well but last year he wanted to show hey I can be your backup make sure that I want to make sure that you don't have to sign someone like Halak next year so I'm going to put myself in the best position to take that backup job and now now he's the front runner undeniably but that being said, like uh, I believe Marcus and Gibson's mentioned, they brought in Chris D'Elia as a guy that can step in and take, or Colin D'Elia, yeah, that's that it. can yep. step in and take some games if they need to. So now there's somebody on Martin's back. I just wonder if the pressure of being the main backup guy might get to him, but it's a lot to assume, but I, I do think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, the sample size is, is really still, you know, nine games in the NHL. Six this past year, another three in 2016, 2017. So there was a huge gap in terms of NHL time. There's AHL games there. There's a lot of ECH, a couple of ECHL games as well. But mostly, we saw him in the, in the AHL. Now, the question is, can you roll with it? Can you, can you be dependent on? And you talked about... In those six games, he did instill confidence within the organization to say, okay, this guy's doing his job. This guy's done everything we've asked for. But at the same time, you get this bump, A, because of your work, B, because the team didn't really have cap room to make any other, spend any more money on the on the goaltending position. It was just a necessity that you're there. The way it went down with Braden Holpe, they had to buy him up. The way it went down with Yaroslav Halak, not great. No. So... And there's a lot of money being spent in a, a lot of different ways on this roster where you could not necessarily spend at the backup position. So part of it is, hey, we believe in you for sure, 
but there's also a real limit to how many dollars you can spend at the position. So this is an opportunity for him. In terms of Colin Delia, though, I look at that player and I say, all right, 30 games in the NHL, you have a bit of a security blanket. He's 28 years old. You do have a security blanket there. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see how Martin responds because this is an opportunity, but with that opportunity does come pressure. Definitely. And I, I do think there's, I don't think it's going to get to him too much, but that being, it, it's just, it's always tough to, let's say he does have a bad start or two, then it starts to get in the back of your head. And being a goalie is such a mental thing as well and being mentally prepared. And that's a lot of what Thatcher Demko has excelled at is being mentally ready even after a bad game. It'll be interesting to see because he had so much success last year. There wasn't really a bad stretch. He didn't have to recover from anything. Also because he didn't really play in the NHL. I do wonder what it looks like if he does have a bad start or two and if he lets that snowball or not. Yeah, you you do, you know, there's a lot of really interesting situations on this team. I think defense is where we look and say, all right, how are you going to how are you going to make it work? We have a sense of what the pairings will look like, but there's a couple of questions that we can still pose and if the Canucks do add a veteran defenseman like a Dehan, like a Strollman or somebody of that nature, we could make a small tweak, but it, it's not a game changer. On the forward group, yeah, the line combinations there's a lot of options there. Bruce Boudreaux is going to have his pick at any of those forwards. And there's some solid depth there. On the goaltending position, it's so important, right? You've got a goalie that, if he's healthy, could be a Vesna candidate, could be a, a finalist, could be in the top five at the very least. You know, if you look at the way he played last year and what he's capable of. But you also need to give him support. And you have to think about this. I don't want to put this out there, but injuries are real in the NHL. We've seen that. Are you in a position where you're comfortable with what you have behind the main guy? Yeah. And that's that to me, the team is deeper in the forward group. The team is about the same at the defensive side of things. You know, same pieces. Goaltending. They're pretty much the same. They are. Halak and name gave you something, but in actual, in actual play, he didn't give you much. No. He, and I think it's, again, like I said, the same this year where if Thatcher Demko goes down, you might hope that Spencer Martin is that guy and maybe he shows that he can be for a short period of time. But what if he isn't? And then you're stuck in a position where you have to play Delia or you have to, maybe it's Seelovs that you have to try to call up and get him to play a few games. Like, you're going to be in a really tough spot if there are injuries. And luckily last year, the Canucks were pretty relatively healthy in that. I know Demko missed a, a few games, but it, you just got to hope it doesn't... Like, you can't you can't afford an injury on defense, and you can't afford an injury in... No. Forwards, obviously, you don't want any injuries, but you'd at least have someone to step up pretty easily if something happened there. But yeah, you're right. On defense and in net, it's going to be really tough if something does happen. All right, we've gone through our breakout and regression candidates for this team. I I wanted to zoom out a little bit and look at the division because we're going to get comfortable with a lot of these teams real quick. Whether it's the Oilers, whether it's the new-look Calgary Flames, the Golden Knights, Kings, go through even the teams, the lesser lights in the division. Whether it's the Kraken, whether it's even the Sharks, Ducks, is there one or two players that you look at and say, 
All right. We're going to get, we're going to keep an eye on, on some of these players, but there's, you know, there's a player on one team that nobody's really looking at right now that could make a huge impact on their respective team. Do you have one or two players? I'm going to say, and I don't know if it's, this is just off the top of my head, but I don't know if it's a breakout per se, but I'm going to say Oliver Bjorkstrand Mm. in Seattle. And I, I just think they didn't have a lot of scoring. They didn't have a lot of anything last year. It was a tough year in Seattle. And I don't think he's necessarily going to put them over the top. I still have them seventh in the division. But I do think Oliver Bjorkstrand, especially if he's playing with Beneers, because I assume Wright's going to go back to the OHL. Yeah. But I do wonder how that line looks. And Beneers is probably another one as well, where I want to see if he can have a breakout year playing with some better wingers. There's a, a desperate need for offense in that lineup. And pre-free agency, pre-trades, you know trades, all of that on draft day, and the day after, we were all wondering, okay, what's their, gonna, what's their move going to be? Are they going to make a big play for uh, a Geno Malkin type of player, which is going to immediately give you star value, but you need offense. Their big play was Bjorkstrand. And 57 points is his career high. He had it last year. But the question with him is, with the right players around him, and I, I think it's a really you know a valid question to ask if Seattle even has those guys right now. Mm-hmm. But he is going to be a go-to guy. 28 goals, 29 assists is his career high. So when we're talking about a breakthrough, we're probably looking at 70 points, 75 points. Like I think he has it in him, personally. And if he's a go-to guy on a team, remember Columbus was, especially with Torts, and, and Larson played a certain, you know, played his team a certain way as well. They didn't have much offense in their game. No, it, it was it was Line A and well, Dubois before that, essentially. That was kind of it. Exactly. And Seattle is very much the same way. They don't have much offense yet. I would say Bjorkstrand, I think he's still going to be their their leading guy. But when we're talking about taking that real step, I think he's a year away. I, I want to see uh, Seattle add a few more pieces because I just don't know if they have enough offense. But he is a step in the right direction. The one that I'm looking at is, is somebody that we're seeing at the World Juniors. And he has played... NHL games. We saw him play last year. He is the go-to guy on Team Canada right now. It's not Connor Bedard, because he's not in the NHL. It's Mason, Mason McTavish. Mm-hmm. And if we look at his games last year in the NHL, nine games, three points, great start, had a couple of goals, played a few more games in San Diego in the HL. But this guy, and how polished his game is, I think he's going to be kind of the next step. Zegris kind of wowed people from a, wow, look at this individual skill. Mason McTavish is the full-on real deal in terms of all-around game, where this is a guy that will be a franchise, a key franchise player for the next decade for this team. So I look at this year, when we're talking about who will be a Rookie of the Year candidate, who can be the front runner, who can you know put up serious points, the breakout player for me in the Pacific Division, I think it's going to be Mason McTavish at the age of 19. Yeah, I could see that, especially if he gets extended time. Like, Anaheim on their forward group. So it's Zegris. They have Troy Terry. Uh, I like Max Comtois. They added Ryan Strom. I do think McTavish is probably, like, top three as far as offensive options on that team as as soon as next year. And so that's going to help a lot, especially if he does end up playing with guys like Zegris. If not, he'll be playing with Strom. Um, that would be really good to see. I also wonder how much power play time he gets 
and their power play should be better with Klingberg on the back too. So we'll see how that goes. It'd be interesting to see Klingberg on, uh, obviously at the point, yeah. and then Zegras and McTavish on either side. Yeah, and I do wonder about that five-on-five five line as well, where you're going to see, you know, some people might have Adam Henrique penciled in on the first line with Zegras, but how much staying power does that have? And I know yeah. Henrique has actually played pretty decently last year. Yeah. He was good. Mm-hmm. But if you're building out this team, you probably want to see what that chemistry with Zegras and McTavish is. And you're not really – you might sneak into a playoff spot if you're Anaheim, but I don't think you're really betting on it. And otherwise, you would have used that $18 million worth of cap space you have. Um, so – it's kind of a year where you can play around with things. You can see what works. It's similar to like Pedersen's first year in Vancouver. Obviously, I don't think McTavish will be at the same level. Maybe he is, but I don't think so. Um, it, it's You have room to play around with things and give things more time than you would if you were trying to make a playoff spot. Uh, we got some reaction coming in on this as well. Greasy Troll coming in with Jared McCann breakout season. 35 goals. That would uh, that would be the worst. In this market, yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So you've got, he had 27 and 23 last year. So a 50-point season. He was Seattle's leading point getter. Ahead of Yanni Gord, ahead of Jordan Eberle. All of those guys. So 35 goals would be a next step up. You're looking at a 60-point player probably. I think yeah. Vancouver would lose it. <laughs> I think so too. And, and, like, it's very feasible because, look, it's not hard to... He got 27 goals on a team that really struggled to score last year. And now you add Bjorkstrand, you have a full year of Beneers, you have Burakovsky, you have more offensive weapons, and, hey, hey, maybe that hurts McCann because there's less offensive options or less offensive chances, but I think it'll help, and I think he'll get time on the power play. He'll be able to put it all together. I do... I could see it as a real possibility. I don't know. I don't know if I would bet on him getting to 35, but I could see him getting around 60 points. Okay. So, yeah, I was a real I was a doubter of Jared McCann early on in his career, right? There was always the, "Hey, is he going to is he going to get it right? Is he going to be able to stick in a lineup?" But last year showed us something. Last year showed us that, yeah, he can be a leader on a team, not only in a statistics point of view, but like he can be leaned upon to actually lead the team, you know, on in a in a year which was pretty challenging for them. So he still got his points even though there's limited offense in that lineup. Now, moving forward, 60, yeah, I I'm no longer a doubter. I think he could probably get it. If you get to 50, to your point, you add some more talent in that lineup, get a better power play out of that, it is possible. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be like a point per game player. No, no. no. But there's a ceiling on that, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. probably around 60-65. But I mean, you need 60 point guys. Yeah, there's the St. Louis Blues of the last, even when they won the Cup a few years ago, there's a guys, a bunch of guys, like a David Perron, and I'm not comparing to their game, but my point is, you need 60-point players. You need 65-point players, and and they might not be first-line players for you in a couple years' time, but as of right now, Jared McCann fills that role. It is the People Show, Randeep Janda, Josh Elliott-Wolf, and I wanted to get into this because life moves fast in the NBA. Earlier today, there was a report saying that, and I'm paraphrasing here, (laughs) that if Kevin Durant did not get traded by the Brooklyn Nets, he would retire. And cause a ruckus. And cause a ruckus like the Wu-Tang Clan. Yes. He would bring the ruckus. About an hour and a half later, 
This tweet from Kevin Durant. I know most people will will believe unnamed sources over me, but if it's anyone out there that'll listen, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. Bleep is comical at this point. Okay, D. So he's not retiring. Well, not right now. Not right now. And he's got 41 million reasons not to retire. Yeah. That's how much he makes every year. Yeah. I don't know, though. The NBA is weird. KD is weird. I do trust what he's saying, though. Like, I, I don't think he would actually retire. Even if he threatened it because of how much he still needs to get paid, I don't think it would be a very real threat either. But I wouldn't be surprised if, and he's disputing it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he at least tried to pull that card at some point and was like, hey, you're not going to trade me. I'm just going to retire. Hold out, I can see. Yeah. But the NBA is wild enough that maybe, but like the fact that he he went to Twitter like the Brooklyn Nets owner and saying, I'm backing up my boys, Steve Nash and Marks. <laughs> yes. Kevin Durant saying, all right, you know how many burners I have? I'm going to I'm gonna send this for my actual account. This is going to be liked so many times, half of them by Kevin Durant. Uh, okay. You know what Nets fans don't like? The Christmas schedule was reported this past weekend. And you've got the Bucks versus Celtics. Celtics could be KD's next team. Mm-hmm. You've got the 76ers, and for some reason, my Knicks. Suns versus the Nuggets, Lakers and the Mavericks, Grizzlies and the Warriors. And with all the drama that the Nets are creating these days, with Kyrie Irving, with Kevin Durant, they're not on the Christmas Day schedule. Is that because the NBA is saying, we're not giving your drama an outlet? Or is that, you guys are probably traded, so there's no point even taking the chance. Yeah, I think it's more of a, okay, even if he isn't traded, is he going to be playing? Is it good PR or bad PR? Yeah, I would I would not have him. I would, I agree with what the NBA is doing. I would not have had the game on the schedule either, just to avoid the drama. Because also, who are you going to have them playing against? Because then you kind of have to predict what team KD might get traded to. Okay, worst case scenario, they turn into a dud and they're traded away. And if you had them against the Knicks, the Knicks, you're usually a dud anyway. So the Battle of New York doesn't make sense. Yeah. The Bucks, yeah, they have history. The Celtics, if you predict, like if the NBA had come back and said, we're going to have a Nets versus Celtics, doesn't that protect them? That way, they still have, they and still have like the drama of, hey, maybe he's going to play his former team. But then where do you put the Bucks? Yeah, that's tough. Well, you could do 76ers at Bucks instead yeah. of Knicks, I guess. Yeah. They're always going to have the Knicks because New York. Yeah, the Knicks are, and I, I follow them. They're my team. They're <laughs> trash. They are trash. Um, all right, we got that. We are late on this. Yes. Don't at me. Hit us up. 650-650. Let's do it. Your takes uninterrupted. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650-650. Don't at me. I said what I said. Don't at me. Brought to you by Lease Busters. Get out of your vehicle lease with ease, confidence, and a Lease Busters leasing specialist to guide you through the journey. Go to leasebusters.com to start the process today. And there is a prize, folks, for Don't At Me. It's a nooner at the Nat. You have a pair of tickets that you'll get if you have the best submissions for the August 26th game versus the Hillsborough Hops. So text in 650-650. Don't at me. We'll get it going here. I have one. Don't at me. Kevin Durant is the JT Miller of the NBA. Whew. It's on roids. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. JT Miller times 700. Pretty much. Is he going to get traded? No extension talks. 
But Kevin Durant is that. And you know what's really great about this? JT Miller, other than Instagram, doesn't really have any other social media that we're aware of. Kevin Durant has all of them. And he uses all of them. He amplifies all the takes. He will call out people. He'll go at them in his mentions. It is the JT Miller trade talk. General noise on roids. Yeah. I'm like, I'm 90%, 95% positive. If I tweeted at Kevin Durant right now saying something bad, he would respond. And that's honestly, I love it though. I don't like do what you want on social media. Make yourself a villain because that's what he's doing. And yeah, I can see it. I like, I wish JT Miller was even half as petty as Kevin because then. It'd just be way more exciting. But we're assuming that uh, JT does not have burners. <laughs> yeah, JT's burners. They've been out there. Uh, don't at me. If they played a wild card series, the Seattle Mariners would beat the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, man. Man is losing faith in his team. I, I'm, man I'm, is losing faith apart. in his team. It is falling apart. The J, like, again, it goes back to the pitching rotation. The Mariners just, I trust their starters more. And this is, I will say, if the series was played in Toronto and Robbie Ray wasn't vaccinated, maybe it's a different story and he's not able to go there. I don't know. We would have to see. But I just trust Seattle. Seattle's vibes are better than Toronto's right now. Yeah, they're they're definitely not anywhere near peaking right now. The, uh, the Blue Jays, Seattle looking pretty good. They took a series against the Yankees as well and they continue to crank out those victories. Uh, we got this one from Chris and Nanaimo. Don't at me. But Mason McTavish will score 25 goals riding shotgun with Zegras. I could see a Besser-esque rookie year from Mason McTavish. With Zegras. Yeah. I could see it. Uh, Don't at me. Drew Locke will beat Russell Wilson at home to start the year and lead Seattle to a 4-0 start. That's unsigned. 4-0 start. That's intense. I love that. You know what I loved about that? At least. At least. Yeah, not not a 4-0 start. At least to a 4-0 start. Who are their uh, first four teams? Who do they... Seahawks schedule. Okay, I'm doing... Well, on... you got the Broncos. You got the Broncos. Niners. Come on. And then the Falcons. Which, okay. And then the Lions. So, the really, the two difficult ones are... If you start the year 2-0, maybe you get to 4-0. Yeah, I the, could I could see the path to 4-0, but I don't know if they start 2-0. Okay, and he said, at least, you've got the Saints on the back end of that. And the Cardinals. That's a pretty soft start to the season. Mm-hmm. But come on, man. Let, let's give Russell Wilson a little bit of respect. But it, don't at me. I can't. I forgot the, uh, the premise of Drew the Lock revenge game. What do you mean? I like this one. Unsigned. Don't at me. Brock Besser is a top five right winger. Woo! Sorry, in the NHL? In the league or on the Canucks? In the Pacific? <laughs> Can you specify, please? We got this one. Glenn and Richmond. Oh, I love Lou Marsh takes. Don't at me. Nathan Rourke will be the Lou Marsh winner. You might be right. Okay, here's a tip. Anytime we start talking Lou Marsh, there's nothing else to talk about. <laughs> that is a... You know when, when the radio, radio hosts start talking Lou Marsh? Especially because it's usually announced. You're reaching deep. It's, yeah, it's usually announced in the summer too, I believe. Actually, no, I could be wrong about that. Um, but regardless, here here's the thing I always think of when I get to Lou Marsh is, okay, is there Olympics in this year? Yes. 
Is there a World Cup this year? Yes. And Canada's in the World Cup. Mm. I just have a feeling it'll be someone from the World Cup team. Probably Alfonso Davies. Assuming they have success. Assuming they score if, a goal. If they pull a 1986 and don't even score a goal, then... <laughs> yeah. Whoever scores... Milan the... Borian as the goalie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we got this one unsigned. Please sign your text so we know who we can give credit to. Don't at me. You made fun of Wings and Wizard, ner- w- Wings and Wizard Nerds, yet you have a show called The People Show with Don't At Me and Wrong Answers Only Segments. Hello, Pot. Uh, pot. My name is Kettle. I, I, I never said I wasn't a nerd. Yeah. I am. I will readily admit to being a nerd. Not in that kind of way. Like, uh, it's, I'm different from a Wings and Wizards nerd, but I, I will fully admit that I'm a nerd in different Would ways. you go to, like, Comic-Con or whatever? <sighs> See, I like... I very I very much follow all the Marvel movies. I watch them all. Nerd. I will say they've kind of taken a downturn lately. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I don't know if I would go just because I'm not, I'm not someone that would, like, dress up and do all that. Okay. All right. We got this one. Marcus and Gibson's. Don't at me. No Miller jerseys will be burnt. Hopefully not. I think that. Come on. Who would? Come on. I don't know. Anytime I see a jersey burnt, I'm like, man, it's $200. Yeah, that's on you. Yeah, that's a bad financial decision. What are you doing? All right. That is Don't At Me. Thank you for your submissions. We're going to take a break here and decide who the winner is. But coming up, wild weekend in the English Premier League. Managers almost fighting each other. Manchester United with a terrible, terrible start to the year. And that continues. We'll talk about that next on The People Show. This is The People Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Welcome back to The People Show, the final segment of The People Show on this Monday, August 15th. This hour of The People Show is brought to you by Douglas Lake Equipment. Get the quality turf, construction, and ag equipment you need while staying under your salary cap at the closest Kubota dealer to the lower mainland, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we had a, a lot of texts, a lot of submissions for Don't At Me, but there can only be one winner. And the winner gets a prize, absolutely, Tickets to the Seas game on August 26th against the Hillsborough Hops. The Nooner at the Nat. We love it. Sometimes we can't attend it because we do this thing called work. It's tough. It's tough, man. We all got to do it. But our, our job's so hard. I know, man. Maybe not. <laughs> so, we talk for a living. Easy. Um, this one won today, though. Don't at me. Drew Locke will beat Wilson at home to start the year and lead the Seattle Seahawks to at least a 4-0 start. Aiden coming in with that fire text. So spicy. I hope it happens. Because then we can revisit this and say, Aiden from Port Moody, you are a prophet. Yeah, that would that'd be wild. I'm not banking on it, though. Imagine the hype in Seattle being like, we traded Wilson and we're 4-0. So, okay, on that, we had Stacey Rost on the show last week. She's like, Geno Smith's probably going to get the job. Yeah. So imagine if Drew Locke ends up doing this. Not only does he beat up Geno Smith, he ends up beating these teams as well. Be intense. It's like be Rudy. Amazing. The ultimate Rudy story. <laughs> yes. The underdog. Yeah. All right. Congratulations to Aiden for that. And uh, hope you enjoy the nooner on the 26th. The C's taken on the hops. All right. Wild weekend in the world of soccer. And you're not a big soccer guy. You're a big golf guy. 
I am a big golf guy. Well, I'm a big playing golf guy. I know a decent amount about golf. Okay. Errors. I'm the opposite. I'm a big soccer guy. I can play golf, depending on your definition of playing it. But I'm not a you know. I'll watch the majors occasionally, but I'm not. I'm not a hardcore golf guy. EPL though, it has been really wild to start off the season. And let's just start with Manchester United. I'm not. This is not hyperbole when I say this. They are the laughing stock of the sports world right now. Because when you win and you're a big brand name, people love you. They start buying your jerseys when they're, you know, little kids and for. The 10 years that you win or the 15 years or however long, you will be a huge brand. That's kind of what we've seen with the Lakers. We've seen that with the Yankees. We've seen that with the Dallas Cowboys. Manchester United, very much the same. One of the biggest brands on earth. Not sports teams, brands. Mm -hmm. They suck right now. (laughs) And that is not not hyperbole yet again. They lost to Brentford 4-0. They were losing 4-0 at halftime. Just a wreck. Absolute chaos. Great second half, though, I assume. They didn't get scored on. That's true. Goal differentials even. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't score anything either. (laughs) This might be the best content right now in terms of social media. The banter that's going on, the Manchester United hate. I'm a part of that. I don't don't lie. As an Arsenal fan, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. Sparks joy. Because we've been dragged a lot over the last 10 years, and we probably still will. But... The drop of a brand being one of the biggest on the planet, it's really, really wild. And the fact that they're a mess, they're not signing anybody, makes this a really, really big problem even moving forward for them because there's no answers. Like, this could happen next week. They play Liverpool next week. Right. So, I have questions. Sorry. Because you're not a big soccer guy. Yeah, not a big soccer guy. So, is this a matter of a team that looked good on paper that just isn't working out or going into the year where they just like, Hey, this probably isn't going to work out. We know we're man U, but this isn't a good year. Okay. So there's a couple of things there. They, they have a new manager. So there's the 10 hog, right? Yeah. Yeah. They thought, okay, he's going to change things around. He'll bring in all these players. Problem is he didn't really bring in that many players. He's brought in a few, including a five foot seven central defender. That sounds bad. It's like Richo playing center half. It's not going to work out well. So, Lisandro, I'm sorry. You're you're not there. Yet, he could be a better midfielder, but they didn't get the players that they're looking for. The high quality. Because at this point in time, players don't feel like they want to go to Manchester United. It's not drawing the highest end, right? No Champions League. You want to play in the best tournament on the planet. Right. But also, there's a weird vibe around the club. Part of that vibe is when Cristiano Ronaldo yeah, no one is more pumped right now than Dan Ricci. Oh, yeah, he's doing cartwheels in Budapest. <laughs> it's part of his training for the hula hoop thing. In the circus. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, before the show started, Cam Barrow walked in here and said, write a passage for, the show, oh, for this show is, how are you going to drag Riccio? Josh, <laughs> you've done it. I've done it. You have done it. But United's in a weird spot right now where they don't know what the answer is going to be. Are they going to be signing players? They're linked to all these kind of good players, but not the highest end. So they got a long, long road to go. They're getting dragged by everybody this weekend, including some of the best analysts and former players of their club on the weekend. So good luck to Manchester United. But as an Arsenal fan, I'm not going to, I don't mean it. The real wild one, Thomas Tuchel, who is the manager of Chelsea, Antonio Conte, 
who is the manager of one Tottenham Hotspur. Heated matchup this past weekend. I saw this one. Woo! So they had a, a bit of a brush up during the match itself. Okay, I didn't so see there that was, part. That was round one, but it was just kind of a, a little bit, you know, it was, had some fire in it. They were fire talking to each other real angry-like. Yes. At the end of the match, they go to shake hands, and there was a really aggressive handshake by one of them. I don't know who it was. I think it was Antonio Conte. But they were about to throw down. Yeah, it was intense. I am for this. I hate both clubs with a passion as a, <laughs> an Arsenal fan. But this is the type of drama that Antonio Conte brings to the, the Premier League. You as a non-soccer guy, when you saw that clip, were you that much more interested in saying, I was you know like, what? what happened here? Yeah, no, I was wondering what sparked it. And I thought, when I saw it, I thought it was some no-name clubs. I didn't think it had any importance. And then I was like, oh, Chelsea and Tottenham, what is happening? That is a... No, that, I was definitely interested in what was going on. And So, one of them is a new manager in the league? Yeah, so Conte took over last year at Tottenham, but it was just kind of like they fired their manager. He he was kind of newish. Right. Now it's like it's like you're watching the Discovery Channel, right? Male comes into a territory <laughs> once a his domination <laughs> yeah. or his his aggressiveness into a new new piece of territory. Yeah. It felt like Antonio Conte was trying to do that. So really, as an Arsenal supporter, everything is going great for you right now. My team won. Two teams are fighting. That's right. Your team has won both games. Manchester United is just a mess. Absolute mess. Could things be going better right now? Yeah, there's a problem. It's called Manchester City, who is by far (laughs) the best team right now, and they look unstoppable. They look really good. But Arsenal, we're good. Uh, Top four, hopefully it continues that way. Liverpool is the other one that played today, and they drew 1-1 against Crystal Palace, so... Mm. Not the start that you want if you're Liverpool either. So they've drawn their first two matches this year. So a team that was supposed to be contending with Manche- Manchester City to start off the year, they already dropped points in their first two matches. So a little bit of uneasiness amongst the the elite in the EPL. Manchester United fans historically have been elite. And so as Liverpool, not quite there right now. Uh, so there you go. EPL, a lot of drama, a lot of smack talk as well. And we got one texture coming in with saying, no, no, the new GM is going to shake up the roster at the deadline and save the franchise. Where have we heard that one before? Yeah, that's kind of what Manchester United was. That's the problem that we don't have. We don't have all the information. There we go. There we go. It is the People Show. Randeep Janda, Josh Elliott Wolf. Uh, nice to mix in some soccer talk. We did some football talk earlier, baseball talk, and of course, hockey talk. And speaking of hockey talk, we had a conversation with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News a little bit earlier on today, talking about the World Juniors and specifically about the Canucks prospects. And we started off talking about Jonathan Lecker-Mackey with Tony first. Have a listen. Uh, I think this is kind of what I expected from him at this tournament, especially with Sweden not being this offensive juggernaut that we've seen them be in the past. He's a guy that, he's not necessarily the play driver. He's really a lot more of the finisher. He's, I, I kind of look at him the same way I look at a guy like Joachim Kamel on Finland, where if you don't have a guy like Simon Taivol or, or Aturatu or something like that driving the line, He's not going to be able to do a lot. And Sweden's been the powerhouse. It's been the more defensive team at this tournament, I think. A lot of their offenses come from their back end. Uh, Emil Andre is having a great tournament. But a lot of the forwards haven't really got off the schneid and scored. So with no one else doing a whole lot offensively, it's not really shocking to see Lekaramaki not doing a ton. Uh, And I wanted to ask about the the other Canucks prospect as well that has kind of been 
Uh, doing a bit better for Finland. Yoni Yermo, what have you thought of his tournament so far? He's been really good. He's had a couple of defensive errors here and there, but overall, like Finland's been one of the most dominant teams at this tournament. We're going to see them play Canada later on today, and that'll be the big test and see what he, he can kind of do against them. But he's been pretty good moving the puck in transition. He's been half decent in the offensive end as well. There hasn't really been a huge area of concern. Like I said, seeing him go going up against Connor Bedard and Mason McTavish and guys like that will be a little bit bigger of a test and see him go against some of the lower-end teams in that group. But overall, I think he's had a pretty decent tournament. Yeah, he's somebody that I think, you know, even watching here at the development camp, you saw, you know, Canucks prospects, younger ones come in, and there was a confidence. There was the the expectation of, okay, he's a little bit older than these guys. He should be able to be that much more confident. In game one against Latvia, you could see maybe, and even after the game, he admitted that he was trying to do too much. When Yoni Yermo's playing his best, what kind of player do we see? I think you see a, a solid transitional two-way defense, but a guy that isn't necessarily going to excel at either end of the ice. He excels getting the puck up ice, so I think he has all the skills to be that puck mover. He makes a great breakout pass. It's when he tries to be the offensive dynamo. It's when he tries to go out there and be a Quinn Hughes. He just doesn't have that necessarily in his game. I think it's when he simplifies things a little bit more, focuses on getting the puck up to the skilled forwards and whatnot, then he can kind of jump in and and attack when the opportunity uh, presents itself. doesn't need to necessarily create it, because when he starts to try to create things in the offensive zone specifically, that's where he can kind of get into trouble. And in the defensive zone, I think it's just play simple like sometimes he tries to chase he goes a little wild and stuff but when he plays simple kind of plays within the structure of the team then he usually excels so it's it's mostly about reining in some of the uh unrefined things in his game like that and the the last canucks prospect that's there uh, on team usa jacob truscott hasn't really made headlines isn't really expected to but has been uh defensively sound how have you evaluated him and uh what have you thought of his tournament yeah, that's pretty much it, right? Like, that's what Jacob Truscott's game is. He's not going to be a guy that goes out there and scores a ton or does anything crazy. He's just sound defensively, understands what he needs to do, and he's kind of that guy that I was thought, like, that Yermo needs to be a little bit more. He knows his role in this team. He doesn't need to go out there and try to be the star. There's a lot of guys that will do it for him and, and be the, the standout players on that team. So he's just coming in, playing the role he's given, and just kind of doing his job. And that's what it comes down to for a lot of players at this tournament when – a lot of the guys at this tournament are guys that are used to playing the top power play, used to playing on these, these high-end levels of the teams and stuff and being the guy. Jacob Truscott's never really been that, so he's perfectly suitable fitting in on, and, and towards the bottom of the lineup and just going, I know my role, I'm not going to try to do too much. We often kind of think about, you know, that defenseman that plays next to the super skilled guys, you know, it, just know your role, kind of play within it. Uh, you know, and this is a guy that played next to Luke Hughes at Michigan as well. It, there's certain things about his game that, yeah, solid plays his 13, 14 minutes in a game. He might have a shot on goal. He might not, but he's always generally, in this tournament anyways, a plus player. But when you're playing next to a a super skilled player, and we've seen this in Vancouver with Quinn Hughes partners over the years, Chris Tanev was really good at it, but, you know, other than that, there's been peaks and valleys on on the types of partners. There are challenges of playing next to, to a really skilled guy as well, the Rovers, so to speak. And Truscott, from what you've seen, does he understand his, his role just about playing within his means really, really well. Yeah, like you said, he's played a little bit with Luke Hughes at Michigan and whatnot. And and those guys, they just understand when they need to kind of reserve themselves. They know that they're playing with a Luke Hughes. They know that they're playing with a Quinn Hughes or whoever ends up being that defensive defenseman or that offensive defenseman. They understand that, hey, I'm not going to go and try to jump into the rush because there's four other guys on the ice, if you're counting those three boards as well, that are going to do that. 
understand that you need to be that defensive responsible guy, the guy that kind of understands that I'll, I'll sit back, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys get the points, let them take the, the shine, let them get the highlights. And Jacob Truscott's really good at doing that. He's a guy that you're going to look, if he plays, has a good pro career, he's probably never going to have more than 25, 30 points in the season. And if he does, that'll be a really good season for him because he's not going to get power play time. He's not going to be a guy that necessarily sits there and asks for it, wants it even, because he knows that other guys are going to be able to do a little bit more dynamic things, a little bit more things like that. And when you're not that dynamic defense and when you're not Quinn Hughes or Luke Hughes and you're not able to kind of spin move off the blue line, walk into the slot and, and then feed a pass to the back door or snipe it from the slot yourself, Jacob Truscott's not that guy. So when you're not able to do that, don't try to do that. And that's where a guy like Yoni Irmo gets into trouble sometimes. Is he does try to do that sometimes, not understanding exactly what, it, what he is yet. And he's growing into it, so it's not too much to worry about because the tools to be that guy are there. And there's a few more years to go for both of these guys as far as development goes, but with both Yermo and Truscott, do you think one of them potentially could translate a bit better to the pro game, or do you think it would end up being a bit similar for both? And just, Which one do you think has a better chance at making it, whether it be in the AHL or NHL, uh, a little bit easier? I think making it the, the higher chance is probably a guy like Jacob Truscott, just because he does understand what his role is. I think his tools are average to above average across the board in general. And it's not like you're, you're asking him to do something he's never done. Whereas with Yermo, I think the upside's higher. I think Truscott probably tops out as a third pair guy, maybe a second pair guy. I think Yermo has a little bit more upside. You could be that guy that kind of is the guy on the second pair. If he can kind of, get a little bit more dynamic. The, the the instincts are there. It's just not necessarily the skill level yet. So if he can either develop that skill level or refine some of those instincts, he's got a little bit of a higher ceiling. But I'd probably say Truscott's a safer bet to be an NHLer in the future. That was our conversation with Tony Ferrari a little bit earlier on. He's from the Hockey News Prospects Analyst. And uh, interesting thoughts there on when Jacob Truscott, right? This is a, a player that was taken a little bit later in the draft a few years ago. Anytime you can get a Michigan defenseman, you're like, all right, let's see what we got. It'll probably work out. Probably. But, you know, over the last couple of years, at this World Juniors, just a, a solid performer. And who knows where the conversation will lead? Who knows what kind of player he turns into? But so far, so good for this organization. And, and that's kind of part of the issue here. On the back end, outside of Jack Rathbone, you got a lot of questions. You don't have many answers. Potential answer in this player. Definitely. And you just kind of need, if you're the Canucks, I mean, it's going to happen over time as long as they don't trade more picks, but you just need as many darts to throw at the board as possible. And it seems like Truscott is one of those guys that you can maybe develop, keep him in the AHL for a bit, and then hopefully in a few years down the road, he's able to be one of those stay-at-home guys that plays on your third pair, maybe your second pair, and a guy that ultimately every team needs that doesn't get paid that much that just plays a good role on the team. Well, the other player we talked about, Yoni Yurmo, is playing right now for our live listeners. Canada is up 3-1 over Finland after 20 minutes of play, two points for Connor Bedard, including a goal, uh, which was primary assist was given to Mason McTavish as well. 3-1 after 20. And, you know, this is a player that, I think that first game especially, we saw him, Maybe try to do a little too much. He admitted it after the game. This is, you just kind of want to see what he has to offer and just decision-making. Are you, are you, are you stepping on the gas at the right time? Yeah. So there was a, I'm just looking at Chris Faber's timeline right now. And there was a clip he posted of 
Yermo walking the line, and he was it was against Bedard. It looked really good. He protected the puck well, kept it in, had a shot on net. The issue is a few seconds later, Bedard comes back and scores. Uh, but I, I still wouldn't put that on Yermo. It is just a it's a matter of finding to, to your point, just the right time to make those decisions because he seems to have a little bit of flair or at least just the ability to make things happen. It's the, the, the trick is finding those times and maybe bringing it back a little bit, especially if you're going to try to move up to the AHL, NHL, stuff like that. We'll keep you posted on the World Juniors and the Canucks prospects. Uh, round A uh, is basically... A uh, group A is, is wrapping up today, so we're going to have a little bit more clarity on some of those matchups. Uh, thanks to Josh for co-hosting today. Stepping in, my friend. Excellent job. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, thank you, Lena, as well, behind the glass, and uh, making, sure, making sure that the show is running smoothly. And thank you to, for tuning into the People's Show. For Josh, Lena, I'm Randy Jenda. Tomorrow we are live on location at the Odlum Brown Van, Van Open. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Blue Jays baseball is next on Sportsnet 650.